If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. This is our third message here in this series. And this message today is entitled National Pride. And I think it's fitting, here we are on Memorial Day weekend, a, a time where there's a lot of reflection in our nation. And um, just a little bit of a heads up, um, this isn't a message that's like, I'm proud to be an American and all that kind of stuff. It's a message that's addressing the issue of pride in a nation. So just a heads up, that's why it's named that way. And I just ask that um, as we walk through this, that God would open our hearts to receive from his word today and he would speak into our hearts and deal with the issue of pride that's not only something that's rampant across the world and in our nation, but something that can be rampant in our own heart and our own life, even as followers of Christ. And so I know we've prayed several times here and uh, different things, but I do want to pray specifically that God would bless this time in his word together. So would you... Uh, pray with me before we begin. Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive from you. Lord, deal with the issue of pride in our life. Personally, Lord, I ask that you would help me. And I ask that you would help others. Pride is an issue. We are people who struggle with this. And so, Lord, I'm asking for your help. Might be a scary prayer to say, Lord, humble us. But that's what I'm asking. Humble us to receive from you today. We ask for your blessing upon this time. Amen. Isaiah 14. Starting in verse 1. The Bible says that the Lord will have mercy on the descendants of Jacob, and he will choose Israel as his special people once again. And he will bring them back to settle once again in their own land, and people from many different nations will come and join them there and unite with the people of Israel. The nations of the world will help the people of Israel to return. And those who come to live in the Lord's land will serve them. Those who captured Israel will themselves be captured, and Israel will rule over its enemies. In that wonderful day when the Lord gives his people rest from sorrow and fear, from slavery and chains, you will taunt the king of Babylon. You will say, the mighty man has been destroyed. Yes, your insolence is ended. For the Lord has crushed your wicked power and broken your evil rule. You struck the people with endless blows of rage and held the nations in your angry grip with unrelenting tyranny. But finally the earth is at rest and quiet. Now it can sing again. Even the trees of the forest, the cypress trees and the cedars of Lebanon sing out this joyous song. Since you have been cut down, no one will now come to cut us down. In the place of the dead, there is an excitement over your arrival. 
The spirits of world leaders and mighty kings long dead stand up to see you. With one voice they all cry out, Now you are as weak as we are. Your might and power were buried with you. The sound of the harp and your palace has ceased. Now maggots are your sheet and worms your blanket. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountains of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. And everyone there will stare at you and ask, Can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the king who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? The kings of the nations lie in stately glory, each in his own tomb. But you will be thrown out of your grave like a worthless branch, like a corpse trampled underfoot. You will be dumped into a mass grave with those killed in battle. You will descend to the pit. You will not be given a proper burial, for you have destroyed your nation and slaughtered your people. The descendants of such an evil person will never again receive honor. Kill this man's children. Let them die because of their father's sins. They must not rise and conquer the earth, filling the world with their cities. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. I myself have risen against Babylon. I will destroy its children and its children's children, says the Lord. I will make Babylon a desolate place of owls filled with swamps and marshes. I will sweep the land with the broom of destruction. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. And that's going to be where we stop for the reading. Now, I mentioned in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is going to be delivering messages of judgment and also messages of hope. And you see a mix of that here in this passage, don't you? In fact, it begins with this message of hope. There is a blessing that is specific with God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. There is a blessing, and I want to just do a little bit of a 101, if you will, of the Abrahamic covenant. And I have done this before. I've preached about this. I've taught about this. God has a special place in His heart for Israel. It is important for us to understand this truth. Isaiah even touches on this. Verse 1 it says that God will choose Israel as His special people once again. Isaiah alludes to this and talks about a day when the nations of the world will help the people of Israel to return and they will serve Israel. But those who captured Israel are going to be ruled over 
by Israel. The scene's going to flip. And when we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, it's important to remember that God came to this man by the name of Abram. We also know him as Abraham. And when God came to Abram, he said, Go from your country, he says, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And in Genesis 12, starting in verse 2, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So given to Abram from God. And the promise to Abraham was passed down through to his son Isaac, then to his grandson Jacob. And in Genesis 27, there's a deathbed moment here. In Genesis 27, verse 29, again, this is reiterated. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Now, Jacob's name changes at some point in his life. What does his name get changed to? To Israel. And we know that he has sons, and from these sons would become the tribes of Israel. And there's a certain point here in Numbers chapter 24 where Balaam speaks to the nation of Israel. It's not just to Abraham, it's not just to Jacob, now it's to the nation. Balaam speaks. And right out the gate in Numbers 24, verse 1, Balaam sees that it pleases the Lord to bless Israel. God is serious about Israel. As he goes on, it says, Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and he spoke this message, and this message was our memory verse for this week in Numbers 24, verse 9. Speaking of Israel, the nation is a mighty lion, and when it is sleeping, no one dares wake it. And reiterating this Abrahamic covenant, this blessing, whoever blesses Israel will be blessed, and whoever curses Israel will be cursed. This wasn't just for them. This is still in existence today, and it will carry through even into the future of what is known as the millennial reign of Christ. And I think we get a glimpse of this in Isaiah 14. Now, if you were in the end times class we did for the last three weeks, we've kind of had a refresher on the millennial reign. But if you're like, what in the world is he talking about? I want to tell you something that is straight from Scripture, that Jesus is coming back to this earth to set up his kingdom here on this earth. The Scripture speaks of that plainly in Revelation 20. And when Jesus comes back to this earth, he's going to reign, he's going to rule. And Isaiah is talking about this in verse 3. In that wonderful day, the Lord gives His people rest from sorrow and fear and from slavery and chains. And then speaking to the king of Babylon, but you are going to be taunted. 
God's going to shift this. Israel has enemies, and there's many times over the course of history where Israel has been oppressed by those enemies. But at the millennial reign, this is all going to shift. And we're going to serve the nation of Israel as we serve in the kingdom of God. So Isaiah starts with this, and then he begins addressing the issue of pride. And we see that here in verses 4 through 23. And there's a, several different views on who exactly Isaiah is addressing. We see the king of Babylon in verse 4 there. You will taunt the king of Babylon. And it goes on to address the king of Babylon. But there are several different individuals that are being addressed. Some feel that it's a specific king of Babylon or that it could be all the kings of Babylon. Some people see a moment here where it's the king of Babylon plus Satan enters the picture. We're addressing Satan as well. And I'm going to touch on that here in a moment. But even addressing the Antichrist because in the end times there is this spirit and this kingdom of Babylon that's being ran by the Antichrist. Then even looking at this and saying this represents all evil and its rulers and I would even say that we can look at a passage like this today and this is a warning to anyone on the issue of pride. You can see what happens when you elevate yourself, make yourself greater than even God, how quickly you will be humbled. This is a warning. So we're addressing this from multiple angles. And pride is a serious thing because pride is the root of all sin. We sin because we have a pride issue. Sin is something where we focus on ourselves and satisfying our desires or caving to the issue of anger or resentment, all of those things. It's a pride issue. Pride is the reason that sin exists. Pride is the reason that Adam and Eve fell. So when they were in the garden, Satan said, if you eat of this tree, you become like God, knowing good and evil. And pride is the reason that Satan fell from heaven. Let's address Satan's fall here because it is addressed here in Isaiah 14. Jesus himself talks about this in Luke 10, 18. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then there's these other passages that we see like Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Revelation 12, Revelation 20, where it talks about Satan's fall. Satan, this former angel of light, he was full of wisdom, and he was perfect in beauty, and he was a song leader, he was a musician of heaven. He was the anointed cherub and one who covered the throne, and his name, Lucifer, meant light bearer. Well, Satan falls in love with his own beauty and he falls into this pride and self 
centeredness. I've heard this even known as merchandising and described as if you, let's say, worked at a store and somebody wanted to buy something, let's just say it's $300. And so I'm working for this store, I don't own the store, and as I receive the money for the store, I put 200 in the cash register and I take $100 for myself. Merchandising. There was a certain point where Satan wanted what is only due to God Almighty. He wanted worship. David Jeremiah says that Satan has an eye problem. And you can see that here in this passage. There's actually five eye statements that Satan or this king would make. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high. Pride. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but God's response is kind of interesting. He pipes back. (laughs) You will be thrown into hell. You will be made a spectacle. You will be mocked and scorned. You will be cast out of the grave, and you will be alone. A little bit of a reality check. Tim Keller says that pride is a form of cosmic plagiarism, claiming to be the author of something that's actually a gift. And we're going to camp out on this for a second. Claiming to be the author of something that is actually a gift. Satan wanted to be like the Most High. And you think of all the counterfeit things that Satan has set up that people worship that's not God. You see this in our nation. We want to call the shots. We talk about a VBS that's going to focus on the sanctity of life. God is the author of life. And where do we get it in our mind that we have the authority to end it before it even begins? We are in a culture that's saying God makes mistakes. When he created you, he messed up on the gender. And so we take matters into our own hands. And we begin all kinds of experiments. And we begin to ruin the body that God has given us. We claim to be the author of something that's a gift. There are so many issues that are in our culture today. And I think about that, and whether it's Babylon or Ammon, Damascus, Edom, Egypt, Moab, even Israel and Judah, God deals with national pride.
America. God deals with national pride. In the Gospel Transformation Bible, it says how easy it is when in power and during times of prosperity to become like the self-deluded Babylonians who came to imagine that they stood above the stars of God, when in fact, we always remain under Yahweh's sovereign reign and rule. And when God's judgment comes, what once seemed invincible can easily be swept away. God deals with pride. You know, last, this last week I was listening to a message on the radio and it talked about how as an individual goes, so does their home. And as the home goes, so does their church. And as the church goes, so does their community. As the community goes, you could just build out from there. Why does our nation have a pride issue? Go back to the root. You and I, we have a pride issue. In our homes, we have a pride issue. In our churches, we have a pride issue. In our communities, it goes on and on. And you wonder why we're where we're at as a culture. It's because of the issue of pride. We elevate ourselves when we should humble ourselves. I want to address some verses here from the Scripture that touch on pride and touch on humility. I think they'd be good for us to take in here this morning. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Whoa. Be assured that individual will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. We shift gears now here, and humility comes on the scene with these verses. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29.23, one's pride will bring him low. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. James 4, verse 6, But God gives more grace, and therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Opposes pride, but gives grace to the humble. Then a very, very popular verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, who are called by my name, Humble themselves. That's the first step in that passage. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. The very first part, the very first step is to humble ourselves. So what does it look like to humble yourself? I mean, I could sit here and say, we should be humble. Let's pray. But how does that play out? Because as soon as this service ends, that battle with pride will continue. 
We'll walk out of these doors and we'll be faced with decisions. Me or God? Me or others? We wrestle with this. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has a variety of suggestions for increasing humility. I want to walk you through these. The first one is routinely confess your sin to God. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. However, too few of us have a routine practice of rigorous self-honest examination. Consistently review your heart and behavior coupled with confession to God. This is an essential practice of humility. The next tip. Acknowledge your sin to others. Ooh. Let me say that one again. Acknowledge your sin to others. I'm telling you right now, the look on a lot of your faces, you're like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. That's part of humility. Acknowledging that you struggle. Humility before God is not complete unless there's also humility before man. A true test of our willingness to humble ourselves is our willingness to share with others our weaknesses. Wisdom dictates that we should do that with people we trust, obviously, but to be willing to express those things. Another tip, take wrong patiently. And it explains it like this. When something is unjust, we want to react and rectify the wrong. However, patiently responding to the unjust accusations and actions of others demonstrates our strength of godly character and provides an opportunity to put on humility. Before we just rush to conclusions or take offense, we patiently respond. Another tip, actively submit to authority, the good and the bad. Our culture does not value submission. Rather, it promotes individualism. And it says, how purposely and actively do we work on submission to those whom God has placed as authority in our life? Another tip, receive correction and feedback from others graciously. It says that in the Phoenix area... In the local East Valley, there's a pastor that was noted for graciously receiving any negative feedback or correction that was offered. He would simply say, thank you for caring enough to share that with me. I will pray about it and get back to you. It says, look for the kernel of truth in what people offer you, even if it comes from a dubious source. And always pray, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this feedback? Another one, we accept a lowly place. If you find yourself wanting to sit at the head of the table, wanting to be recognized, and also recognize that your contribution is being made, or or maybe you become offended when others are honored or chosen, when you're not, then pride may be present. 
We should support others who are being recognized. And we even need to accept and look for the lowly places. It is the place of humility. Another one. We purposely associate with people of lower state than us. Jesus was derided by the Pharisees for socializing with the poor and those of lowly state. Our culture is very status conscious and people naturally want to socialize upward. Well, resist the temptation of being partial to those that have status and wealth. Here's another one. Choose to serve others. When we serve others, we are serving God's purposes in their lives. And doing so reduces our focus on ourselves and builds the kingdom of God. Service. When serving another costs us nothing, we should question whether it is really servanthood. I think that's a great point. Here's a few more. Here's one. Be quick to forgive. Forgiveness is possibly one of the greatest acts of humility that you and I can do. To forgive is to acknowledge a wrong that has been done to us and also to further release our right of repayment for the wrong. Forgiveness is denial of self. Forgiveness is not insisting on our way and our justice. Being quick to forgive. Another one is to cultivate a grateful heart. And the more we develop an attitude of gratitude for the gift of salvation and the life that God has given us, the more true our perspective of ourself. When I opened the service, I read all these qualities from Colossians 3 that we should clothe ourselves with. One of them was humility. And did you notice in that passage, there was about three moments where we thank the Lord for things He's been doing. Gratitude. Are we thankful? A grateful heart is a humble heart. Another one here is to purpose at speaking well of other people. Saying negative things about others puts them down and puts another up. Speaking well of others edifies them, builds them up. Make sure, however, that what you say is not intended as flattery. And the last one is to treat pride as a condition that always necessitates embracing the cross of Jesus Christ. You want the greatest example of humility? It's Jesus leaving heaven, coming to this earth to serve and not be served, to go to a place of punishment, that being the cross, so that you and I could be set free to sacrifice His life. It is our nature to be proud and it's God's nature in us that can only bring humility. So we have to commit ourselves to a lifestyle of daily dying to ourselves. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Hey, today's application point, everybody go out and die to yourself. Should be a fun week, shouldn't it? Die to your self-interests. Sacrifice 
and service and all of that stuff. Stuff that just pumps you up. How many are excited to get out and be humble? It's hard. And we need God's help. And that help comes through the power of the cross. And living through Christ is the foundation for true humility. And there's a question that I want to just ask, and this covers all the basis for today's message. And the question is this, who's on the throne? Who is on the throne? That's a great question. Am I on the throne? Or is God on the throne? And we know who's on the throne, don't we? But for some reason, every day, we try to take that throne back. And we make decisions where we get the glory. And we cater to our flesh. We spoil ourselves. We put ourselves above the needs of others. But if God's on the throne, He calls the shots. He tells us what to do. He shows us who to serve. Who is on the throne? So we reflect in a variety of aspects of our lives. Are there places and territories of your life where there's a pride issue? Here's an interesting little note for you. If you feel like this message today was not for you, but for others, (laughs) ding! (laughs) Yeah, this was for all of us. Lord, help us with the issue of pride. Help us to be people who are humble. Help us to draw from your grace so that we can be humble, because I can't do that on my own. Russell will always pick flesh. Russell will always want things for himself, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life that says, no, let's, let's make a decision outside of you. Would you pray with me as we have this reflection? Lord, with that question, who's on the throne, I pray that we would recognize that we need you calling the shots in our life. When we're doing that on our own, we get ourselves into quite a mess. And Lord, you even humble us along the way. But I pray that, Lord, our first stop in the process of humility would be to our knees, asking for help. We need you. And with that question of who's on the throne, if there's someone listening right now and you reflect in your life and you don't even know if if God is on the throne of your life and you desire to have God moving and working in your life. You desire Him to to take your life and to change it and to make Him King of your life. If you desire that, understand that you must come to Christ and ask for forgiveness of your sin and the pride and all the junk and give it to Him and ask for forgiveness. 
And so we do that right now, Lord. Please forgive us. Please cleanse us. Make us new. May you be the king of our life. And may we not try to take the throne. Help us to make decisions out of a place of humility. We love you, Lord. Help us to be people who reflect humility and not pride. In Jesus' name, amen.